and share with us exactly what God's given to you. Thank you, sir. Amen, brother. Amen. All right. Well, good evening. Oh, my goodness. Try that one again. Good evening. Oh, okay. You are awake. Amen. How many of you got a nap today? Raise your hand if you took a nap today. Oh, that's not a whole lot. So maybe, uh, maybe that's why uh, the response. Anyway, uh, I, uh, I have surely been uh, uh, enjoyed the time being with you all and for the last few days and uh, enjoyed the conference and enjoyed uh, just getting to meet some new people and seeing some other people that we saw the last time we were here. And uh, I just want to say I appreciate your preacher. I thank the Lord for him and uh, for the stand that he takes and for the man of God that he is. Uh, there's a lot of people around the country. Uh, I'll just put it this way. In 25 years in the ministry, there's people that I do not preach for anymore. And uh, not, not because necessarily I wouldn't go there, but they won't have me there anymore. And um, it's simply because I'm not going to change from what this book says. And, um, and I thank the Lord that your preacher is the same kind of preacher. He doesn't, uh, he's not going to test the wind and see which direction things are going. And I thank the Lord for that. And uh, it's been a joy to be with you all. Well, this last message that I believe the Lord has laid on my heart to, to preach this evening, I, I hope uh, every one of you that sit here tonight from the very youngest to the very oldest here, will understand that this message applies to each and every one. Because at any level in the family structure, anybody can get wrapped up in what I'm going to talk about tonight, and it can really, truly destroy your life. And everybody needs to just take heed and take heart to what the passage is all about. We're going to turn to 1 Kings chapter number 3, if you would, and we're going to read the passage of Scripture dealing with Solomon, and um, of course Solomon, as the scriptures tell us, Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. Uh, we'll find that in this reading here tonight as we read. There was nobody before him or no, nobody after him that, were, that was as wise as he was. And I want you to notice as we begin tonight, and I'm going to ask you uh, this question here. How many of you would say tonight... Um, Brother Martin, I really believe in my heart, I can say I love the Lord. You'd raise your hand as a testimony to that, and uh, I would hope that everybody's hand would go up, and I, I'm not going to question anybody's love for the Lord. As a matter of fact, I want you to notice what it says here in 1 Kings chapter 3, and verse number 3 about Solomon. It says, and Solomon loved the Lord. Now, I want you to stop and think for a moment. This is God speaking from heaven. This book is God-breathed. <laughs> And this is what God's testimony about Solomon was. He said, Solomon loved me. Uh, as a matter of fact, what ends up happening here, this is the dream that comes upon Solomon when God speaks to him in the night. And if you just look at verse number five, it says, In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. 
Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this thy so great a people? We read the first portion of this and we think, wow, well, look at Solomon, man. He had such a tender heart toward God. And uh, he, he, we know that he says that he loved the Lord here. And uh, I mean, he humbled himself before God. He said, I'm just a little child. Now, he wasn't uh, in his own eyes, he, he was saying, I'm a little child. He wasn't a little child, but uh, he says, I, I don't know how to do this. God, I need you. And, and uh, man, it seems like, man, things are just uh, right in Solomon's heart. As we continue to read, it says, and the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, because thou hast asked this thing and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, uh, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And Solomon awoke. And behold, it was a dream, and he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings and made a feast to all his servants. Boy, we read down through a passage of scripture like this and we say, man, Solomon as a young man sure had it all together. Man, he loved God. He was humble, humbled himself before the Lord, asked the Lord to give him what he didn't have so that he could guide and direct the people and everything. We'd say, man, he really had everything together here. But the truth of the matter is he didn't. You say, what do you mean, Brother Martin? If we look just a few chapters later, over in chapter 11, you'll find out that Solomon turned, and it tells us the story about how he turned in apostasy away from God. I mean, a man that says that he loved the Lord, and yet turned away in apostasy from God. Back in January of this year, I was scheduled to have a shoulder surgery. In October last year, I blew my whole rotator cuff out on my right shoulder. I couldn't lift my arm, couldn't move it. And um, they took a long time because of COVID to get in and get uh, scheduled for an MRI and then uh, to get scheduled for the surgery. And I was scheduled Jan January 4th to have surgery. And um, so I uh, was in communication with the, my brothers and sisters. I have uh, one brother and one sister that I would take care of all their finances and try to help them. Um, they just uh, need a little extra help, and I, I would do that for them. And my one sister I, uh, that I took care of, I was trying to, at a distance, I'm in Kansas, she's in Michigan. Uh, at Christmas time, we talked a little bit, and then uh, I had uh, sent her some money to pick up the, that week uh, before January 1st. And she did not text me and let me know she got it. And uh, long story short, I started getting a hold of people saying, hey, would you go check on her people that knew her? And uh, they went to the house to, uh, to check on her and uh, ended up having to call the police and got inside and they found my sister dead on the floor in the bathroom. Um, two days before I was supposed to have my surgery. Of course, I had to cancel the surgery and I had to go to Michigan and had to deal with uh, what had happened. You say, what happened to your sister? 
Uh, was she saved? Most people, that's the first thing they'll say, yes, she was saved. Did, did she love the Lord? Oh, yeah, I believe she loved the Lord. I really do. But there was things happening in my sister's life through a process of time that caused her to get to the place where she was at before she died. When the autopsy results came back, uh, her death was a death caused by cocaine and fentanyl toxicity. Most people that would have seen my sister at the end of her life would have said, well, I hear this, I hear preachers say stuff like this and it just makes me think, are you, do you really, you better think what you're saying. Uh, well, they just needed to get saved. My sister got saved in the same family reunion that I got saved in. My sister began a life living for God. She was in church just like we're in church tonight. She, she was in a youth group that went around and traveled around the uh, 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 actually traveled to other churches throughout Michigan. There's a big youth group, and, and they would sing in churches. Matter of fact, she sang specials, had a beautiful voice. What in the world happened to her? I believe what happened to her that led her to the place where she was at before she died is the same thing that happened to Solomon here. You say, what's that, Brother Martin? It wasn't in the fact of whether or not they loved the Lord. I know, well, I know from the scripture, Solomon did. And I know my sister loved God. The problem was in the exceptions that she began to make. The problem in Solomon's life was the exceptions that he made. I want to preach for just a few moments tonight to everyone in this room, from the youngest to the oldest. It doesn't matter where you're at on the scale here. This is the most dangerous thing in every one of our lives. What? when we begin to make exceptions. Father, I pray that you'd bless the next few moments that we have to spend together. Lord, as we close this family conference out, I pray that you would challenge each and every one of us as members of the family and as individuals before you. Lord, I asked everybody here tonight if they could say they loved you and their hands went up all across the crowd, and I believe that they do. But Lord, looking at the life of Solomon looking at the life of my sister, I see how easy it is for that love to begin to wane, even begin to die if we make these exceptions in our life. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be cautious and careful. I pray that we would take heed to your word tonight, the simple thought, and we'll be very careful to give you the honor and the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The word exception, let me give you the definition for it. It says this. It says an exclusion from what is comprehended in a general rule. So it's something that's excluded from what you would expect to be. It says also separate from others in a description. In other words, a description of what something should be, but it's removed from that description. And then it says an objection or opposition to a rule. And uh, I'm sure that many of you have heard through time, you've heard people say, well, this is just an exception to the rule. Can I tell you tonight, in living for the Lord and loving God, there's no exceptions to the rule of what his word has to say. We need to follow the truth of his word, and we need to, if we're going to really truly stay in love with him, we got to stay in fellowship with him, we got to stay in tune with his word, we got to follow what he says here. 
But I see three major things that happen. There's, there's many exceptions we could talk about tonight. But I see three in the life of Solomon here that were, the I believe, the biggest hindrances in his life that led him to the place where his love was so shallow for the Lord at the end that he would worship false gods. The first one is simply this. In chapter, and by the way, these except, this exception had already taken place. Even when God said in verse 3 he loved him, this had already taken place. And what are you saying? He loved the Lord, but he started making some exceptions, and then he ended up, here's the first one, verse 1, and Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house in the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem roundabout. The first exception that Solomon made, and I'll guarantee you, most of the time when people uh, uh, end up with, with heartache in their life, this is one of the big exceptions they make in their life. What is it? The exception in your associations. Who are you associating with? Hey, what in the world was Solomon doing making affinity or joining up or yoking up with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt? It didn't take uh, uh, very long, I'm sure, before he fell in love with his daughter and ended up marrying his daughter. We're talking about heathen people. Amen. What happened? He began to make an exception in his associations. And by the way, uh, this will be, I'll say this many times tonight, but one exception always leads to another exception. And it leads to another exception and to another exception. Boy, so many times, and young people will say, Mom and Dad, you just don't want me to have friends. You just don't want me to, <clears throat> to be able to, to have friends and, and, and choose the friends that I want. No, Mom and Dad have wisdom in the matter of who you choose and who you don't choose, and you need to listen to your Mom and Dad. They're trying to protect you from associations that they know will hurt you. Amen. Let me just say, bigger kids in the room here tonight... Many, many times, and this is happening at, a, at an alarming rate today, that people that are older and know better are getting involved in associations that are taking them out of the race. I have seen so many people leave really good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches because of a non-denominational crowd that comes and, uh, and tells you, well, we love the Lord just like you love God, and uh, uh, you know, you don't have to do everything your church says, and boy, it just takes just a little bit of an association with somebody like that, and they'll draw you right out, and the love that you say that you have for God, you'll say, oh, I love the Lord, and they love the Lord. But I'll promise you, if they're not obeying that book there, they don't love the Lord the way that they say they love the Lord. Amen. What are you saying? Be careful about your associations. I've seen, Josh, I've seen so many young men go to Bible college. And they, and they go and they, they graduate. And, and, and by the way, in Bible college, you can get messed up with the wrong people too. Hey, I was vice president of a Bible college for two years. I know. You, you, you get around the wrong people in Bible college, wrong associations. Man, there's people that graduated from Bible college that I know that supposedly were going on to serve God. Now they're way out there in contemporary churches. Some of them there. Some of them are even not even in the ministry. Why? Because of wrong associations. We've got to be so careful about the associations in our life. Oh, I love the Lord. They love the Lord. 
And they draw you into a trap. It's the devil's trap to get you to believe that we're all on the same page. You know, I, I think about over there in, in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and, you know, Sanballat and Tobiah and all, you know, you know, we, you know, we serve the Lord just like you do. Again, I've got a, I've got a Hebrew word for that, baloney. <laughs> what do you mean? No, they don't. Don't you listen to people that say there's nothing wrong with drinking? That they love God just like you love God? Listen, don't you listen to people that say, we love God even though we don't have the same standards as you have. We still love the Lord. You better be careful about falling into those traps. They'll lead you right down the pathway. We talk about the uh, associations concerning um, yoking up with the wrong person. Of course, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 through 18 there, it warns us about that, probably the most famous passage on separation in the New Testament. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what conquered hath Christ with Belial? We're not supposed to have fellowship with people like that. When we're talking fellowship, we're talking closeness. We need to be friendly to everybody. But when we're talking about fellowship, we're talking about closeness. God does not want us to yoke together with people that don't have the same kind of faith and belief and trust in this book that we know to be true. Amen. Amen. If we look at the end of Solomon's life here in chapter 11, notice what it says over there. This is right after chapter 10 where the Queen of Sheba came and, and saw all the splendor. And by the way, God honored his word. God blessed him, gave him abundance of everything, more than any king had ever had before. Queen of Sheba saw it. She said, I, the half hadn't been told me what exactly has taken place here and what you have. But chapter 11 begins with the word, but. King Solomon loved many strange women. Together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites of the nations concerning which the Lord Lord said unto the children of Israel, you shall not go into them, neither shall you come into you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their God, Solomon, clave unto these in love. What are you saying? The the associations that he had, he he got yoked up together with somebody that was an unbeliever, somebody that was of of a heathen nation that worshiped false gods, and that thing began to perpetuate itself and just snowballed, if you would. One exception led to the next and the next and the next. Your friendships and your associations will determine your destiny. They will determine your future. You're not going to determine it. Those you associate with, that's why you better associate with this book and love the God of this book and fall in love with the Savior that gave himself for you. You better develop that relationship as strong as you can get it. So many stories that I could share with you. I, I remember an incident that happened at football camp a number of years ago. And this happened, it was out of Brother Angel's church. Brother Angel has shared this testimony many times. But um, he, had, he had a couple young men in his church there that um, were uh, went in the Christian school. As they got a little bit older and got up to their teenage years, they were... Uh, 
they were, began a pathway where one of them uh, started kind of spreading his wings a little bit and getting a little rebellious, and uh, uh, the other one had surrendered his life to serve the Lord. As a matter of fact, uh, when I was a camp director down at Mount Salem Revival Grounds, uh, they came to camp. Brother Angel brought, would uh, have his youth group come to the camp down there, and uh, the boys' names were Isaiah and Nathan, and Nathan um, had surrendered to serve the Lord at camp. And when the, anybody got saved or surrendered to serve the Lord full-time with their life, uh, we had them come up and ring a bell. In the, in the, uh, we had a big bell tower there, and it would echo down through the valley. And I, got a pi- I had a picture of Nathan ringing the bell when God called him to preach. Well, when they got near graduation, Brother Angel said it was becoming more evident that Isaiah was headed a different direction than what Nathan was. Nathan was on track to serve the Lord. They graduated, came across the platform the day of graduation, and uh, hugged the preacher, told him they love him. Both of them did. Isaiah, uh, a new preacher, loves to hunt and everything, and he gave him a hunting knife as a gift for, uh, for being his pastor and all that. But his heart wasn't with the preacher. Oh, he loved him, but his heart really wasn't with him. After about a week or a week and a half, he moved out of his house. He had an older brother that had moved out, and uh, I believe if the story... If I have the story right, they were, he moved in, there was a couple girls and a couple guys living together, and Isaiah moved out, moved in with them, and stopped coming to church. Nathan and Isaiah were working together up near Chicago. Nathan was trying to get the money together to be able to pay for going, to, going off to Bible college. And um, Nathan came to Brother Angel after six weeks or so and said, Preacher, I don't know what to do. He said, I'm struggling bad. And he said, what's up? And he goes, well, you know, I'm still going driving to work with Isaiah because I don't have a way to work or anything. And I'm just trying to get the money to be able to go to Bible college. And, but he's just, he's so far away from God. And, you know, he, he talks bad about you. And I try to stop him. And then he talks bad about his parents and everything. And, and uh, He said, well, he said, I'll just tell you, Nathan. He said, you're asking for my counsel and my advice. I'm telling you right now, you need to stop going with him. You need to quit riding with him. You need to find you another job. If you've got to flip burgers at McDonald's, flip burgers at McDonald's. Because I'm telling you, the worst place for a child of God to be is with a backslidden Christian. He said, "I I would not state well. He said, okay, preacher, okay, I know what I need to do. But he left there, and he didn't quit. In his mind, he thought, I only got four more weeks, and four more weeks I'll go off to Bible college. It was at football camp, during football camp. Brother Angel and his wife were on an anniversary trip, and the call came in, and Brother Woodward went over to Bourbon A because Isaiah and Nathan were driving to work. Isaiah was driving he lost control in a van they had and rolled it in the median. Brother Woodward got to the hospital just in time to see the doctors come out and tell Mrs. Lockwood Nathan's passed away. He said Mrs. Lockwood crawled on the ground, curled up in a little ball, and just rocked back and forth crying and screaming. The young man whose life was on track to serve the Lord, but because of one exception. One, you say, Brother Martin, really? Really. One exception in the association ended up canceling out his life for God. 
You know, I was thinking about, uh, I'll read a verse to you here. In uh, Ezekiel, when the Lord's talking about the, the children of Israel and the children of Judah, and he called them, he had an, he called them Ahola and Aholaba in this passage of Scripture. But this is what he said at the very end of Ezekiel chapter 23, the very last verse. I've always thought this was a powerful verse. It says this, And they shall recompense your lewdness upon you, and ye shall bear the sins of your idols. Think about that. Ye shall bear the sins of your idols, and ye shall know that I am the Lord God. What do you mean? You put something above God, or you get in an association that you shouldn't get into, you could pay a dear price before it's over with. How many associations I could tell you where I've seen young people that are on track for God, and they get in and yoke into a wrong relationship and get married to the wrong person? And their lives are destroyed. What are you saying? It happens from the youngest to the oldest. And I've seen, I've seen elderly people get caught up in a wrong association and draw them out of church and draw them away from their children. What are you saying? Man, you better be careful. You start making exceptions and associations, it's going to lead you down a pathway. First of all, that you're going to begin losing your love for God. You won't love him the way that you once did when you start making exceptions contrary to what he says in his word. It'll be a lot more shallow, very dangerous. Can I tell you the problem that my sister had began with associations. When I told you that she, when she was in... Um, a young person and teenager and all, she was in church, she was in a, a big choir, she went and traveled and sang and everything, and her and my, sis my other sister moved to North Carolina, and when they moved down there, my, uh, they lived together for a while, and then my older sister got married, and so my younger sister was, was uh, living on her own, and uh, she got into a relationship with a guy, and um, bad association, she ended up becoming pregnant, um, Realized what a mess she made of it, of, of this situation, but got things right. And by the way, she never, never got out of church. She knew what she was doing was wrong. She got things right, got back in church, was faithful, and uh, uh, tried to raise her daughter the way that the Lord would have her to raise her daughter and everything. And then uh, when her daughter got a little bit older, she got rebellious, and it just it started snowballing. My sister ended up uh, having some medical issues, and, and uh, she had uh, um, MS and uh, uh, she began to have some physical problems where she couldn't do the things she used to do. And they told her, the doctors told her, you know, one thing that will really help you is if we could, we could give you some cannabis, medicinal marijuana, and it'll help you. I'm not trying to be mean to anybody that might be involved in this, but I'm telling you, that one little step, she got in a group of people that she should have never got involved with. And in that group of people, they began to tell her, you need to try this. This will work better than that did. That association ended up leading in a snowballing effect to the downfall and the demise of her life. Associations. Who is it in your life? You know what? We could go. We could go. We could run deep with this thing. 
say, what do you mean? It may not even be somebody that's physical in front of you, that you talk with, that you communicate with. It might be a television. Who do you associate with on the television? Who do you allow to come into your home and influence you and your family? I mentioned this the first night. It's amazing to me how Christians today count it nothing. We'll say we stand against homosexuality, but we count it nothing to allow television programs in our home that, that promote and push and homosexuality and alternative lifestyles and transgenderism and all that stuff. What in God's name are we thinking? What are we doing? We're making associations that are going to lead us down a pathway that's going to snowball to another and another and another and another. And before you know it, you're so deep into it, you don't even realize what's happened. Amen. Exception in associations. It will affect your relationship with God. Second one. I see that I believe that Solomon had, and of course, this deals with exactly what we're talking about here. It says in uh, verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and burned incense in high places. And uh, it says, and the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was a, uh, the great high place, a thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer on that altar. There were things that Solomon had in his life that he enjoyed that may not have been the right thing. Uh, um, you know, in the building of the temple... Um, when Solomon built that temple, there was only one place to worship. There was only one place they were to come worship. But, but sometimes they would have their own little places of worship that they would set up on their own. Solomon did that. You say, what's a place of worship? It's a place that we set up that's something contrary to what this book says or something that we elevate above the Lord. It can be anything. But one of the things that Solomon's greatest problem was with the, was the thing with women. If we look back there in chapter First uh, Kings chapter eleven, and you notice what it says again, we read down through the first couple of verses. It said in verse three, and he had seven hundred wives, princesses, and three hundred concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And notice his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. And Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zeldonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after David, as did David his, or after the Lord, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burn incense and sacrifice unto their God. This is hard to fathom and believe that the wisest man that ever lived would snowball in his associations with, uh, with these women and, uh, and, and, and come to the place where he would begin to worship their false gods and set up altars in the temple and around the temple to these false gods. Uh, the, the, the god Molech was a brazen god that was built with its arms outstretched and they would bring their babies and they would lay their babies in that outstretched arms of that god and they would burn those babies in sacrifice to that god. Solomon worshipped them. How in the world did he get to that place? Well, first of all, he made an exception in his association. Secondly, he made a, an exception in his appetites. He continued to feed the appetites that he had. He still wanted those wrong associates. He still wanted more women. Don't, sure don't sound like the wisest man that ever lived to have a thousand women. 
I can't handle one woman, much less a thousand. <laughs> Finally got an amen tonight. <laughs> Not a lot of wisdom in that. Why in the world did he go to that degree? Because he couldn't control his appetites. He couldn't control the appetites which were headed in a devious and a strange way. What appetite or affection is it that we're making exceptions for in our life? You know what I, you know what I think would really reveal our greatest need of revival, preacher? If we took everybody's cell phone and took everything that's on that cell phone and put it on these screens here that every one of us could see what we're doing on cell phones. How deep we've gotten ourselves in. How dangerously, oh, and by the way, parents, God help you if you give your teenager a cell phone. You say, who do you think you are? I'm just a man of God trying to proclaim some truth. You better be careful. You are giving them a loaded weapon to destroy their life. Well, they, I think they need a cell phone. What would a teenager need a cell phone for? It's getting real quiet. I know it, knew it would. My children never had cell phones as teenagers. Reluctantly, when they went to college, and it was to contact me and mom and to talk with us and to but listen that's not what cell phones are anymore you and I both know what they are they're just a means to evil and wickedness nod your little heads listen they I'm not saying go stomp your cell phone crash I'm not saying that but I'm saying the appetites that we get from a cell phone lead us down a dangerous pathway. Social media. Boy, you get an appetite for social media. I'm telling you, I have so many preachers tell me that when the social media craze began, they began to realize how many people in the church were against them. Because you, you all of a sudden put on a different persona when you get on social media. Well, you can portray something that you're, it really shows your heart. And the appetites of that. And uh, all these people get so caught up in their, listen, I don't have a social media platform, so you can't contact me through that because I don't have one. But people, I, I know what people talk about and I hear what people are saying and everything. And all oh, people are enamored with, oh, I've got, I've got this, so many thousands of people that follow me. And I've got, hey, I know some preachers that have traveled down that road and their lives are destroyed right now. Because they got all these people following them and everything. What is it? Appetites. Wrong appetites. Man, you start making exceptions in appetites, it's going to lead you down a pathway that will destroy your life. Well, I can just get by with this one thing. You think you can, huh? The wisest man that ever lived couldn't get by with the exceptions that he made in his appetites. I read the other night that passage in Matthew chapter 16 where, uh, the, where Peter was at Caesarea Philippi with the Lord. And, and the Lord asked, whom do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And all that. And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, blessed art thou, Simon, but Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto me, but my Father which is in heaven. 
I mean, he, he praised him for, you know what, you believe this because you got it from God. But four or five verses later, he's rebuking him. Why? Because you savor not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. That word savorist is a, is a word, one of the definitions is you have the appetites of the world, the appetites of man, and not the appetites of God. What appetites are filling our life right now? Again, I go back to my sister. And listen, I'm, if you knew how much I loved my sister, I, I poured my life into trying to help her to stay off the streets and to, I'm not trying to be mean, but it, I'll guarantee you, if my sister was here today, she'd say, go ahead and tell them if it'll help anybody and save them from what I ended up going through. Listen, my sister, even when she was going through all of this, even she, when she was struggling and battling, I know she loved the Lord. She would talk to me about the Lord preacher. She'd say, I witnessed to this person the other day. I went, but you know what? You lose all your credibility when you get involved and wrapped up with other things and the power of God's not on your life. She didn't see those people saved. But my sister ended up developing an appetite for cocaine. I didn't even know about that till I knew that she was involved in some things. I didn't know she was involved in that until she died. And then I found out through a few other people how that it's interesting. You can ask my wife. The last year before my sister died, she kept bringing this up. She kept saying, you know, I know you're going to live longer than I am. And she's younger than me. I know you're going to live longer than I am. I know you. I said, no, Sandy, you're not. <laughs> you're going to live longer than I am. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I just know I'm not. She began to tell me about things she wanted me to do. If, if she died, what, she, what, and I'm like, what is, where's this going? What's it? Well, she knew what was going on. Did she love God? Yeah, she loved God, but she didn't love him the way she did years ago. Why? Because she allowed exceptions into her life. Exceptions in associations, exceptions in appetites. One appetite led to another appetite, led to another appetite, led to another appetite. And it was never fulfilled, by the way. I can tell you stories about uh, my, my best friend when I was young was my cousin. My cousin named Scott, and I called him Scotty, and uh, he lived in North Carolina. I, I didn't get to see him but once a year. We'd spend about three or four weeks in the summer down there, but he was my best friend. I was the shy guy. I was the introvert. I couldn't talk to nobody. I, couldn't, uh, I was the guy that in high school never got up and gave a speech, never, never gave an oral speech in front of people. I made myself sick, so I didn't go when I was supposed to. <laughs> you say, how'd you get by with that? I, well, how, how'd you graduate? Maybe they just wanted me out of there. I don't know. And some of you will say, well, how are you doing what you're doing now? It's only God, I guarantee you. I had one friend in a graduating class of over 800. One person that I talked with. I couldn't do it. I couldn't communicate. I couldn't. But Scotty was my, he was my cousin, but he was my best friend. Because, boy, we could talk. We communicated. We, uh, he was a little bit older than me. And when I was down there in the uh, summertime, we would go trot line fishing. And we'd, we'd go coon hunting together. And, I, I mean, we just, we just had a blast together. 
Wherever Scotty was at, I was at. Matter of fact, the night I got saved as a nine-year-old boy, Scotty, I can still remember when I got saved that night, I went out on Grandpa's porch swing, and uh, Scotty sat on the porch swing beside me, put his arm around me, gave me a big old bear hug, and said, man, I'm so glad you got saved. And man, Scotty loved God. But as time went by, we weren't able to see each other, and and uh, uh, through high school and everything, and uh, after high school graduation, and he, he went off, he got married, and they had a couple children, but he started hanging around some guys at work, and he started uh, telling his wife, you know, we, I'm going to just go, to, go out with the guys for just a little bit, you know, and we're going to watch a game or this, and that, and the other, but what they were doing was going to the bar. And uh, his wife found out about it, and she gave him an ultimatum, and he just blew it off, you know, and, oh, no. and she finally said, you know what, either you stop or me and the children are leaving. But he got himself wrapped up and because his associations led him into appetites that he couldn't stop. She ended up leaving him and taking the children. When she did, it snowballed in his life. It went from just drinking to taking prescription drugs. He wouldn't dare do anything that's just, you know, way out there or whatever, but he started doing prescription drugs. His life got wrapped up in that. He couldn't break it. He couldn't get out of it. He began a spiral deeper and deeper. We used, to, we used to love to hunt and talk about hunting all the time and everything, and he lost his desire for hunting. He lost his desire. Uh, his love for God began to wane. I watched him go down, down, down. And long story short, when he was 44, I preached his funeral. I was only 41 you say, what happened? He took some prescription drugs along with some alcohol, drinking some alcohol, and his heart began to convulse, and they couldn't get him out of it, and he ended up dying. Associations led to appetites that he couldn't get victory over and destroyed his life. What are you saying, Brother Martin? Boy, we better be careful. We better be careful. I can tell you other stories. I can tell you stories. I can tell you stories of people in church that were such good people. Church that we were involved in before we went into the ministry. There was a there was a, a couple in that church that worked with us in the youth group. Because I told you we had about a hundred kids in the youth group together. We had four couples that worked together in that with the youth pastor to help him. And uh, this one couple worked in there. Man, we did. Th- he was an usher in the church and and uh, uh, just very involved in the church and. Um, he started making really good money and he began to get promoted in his business and everything and he ended up getting involved in um, gambling. His wife started finding out about this and what is going on. Come to find out he'd remortgaged their house. Uh, he, he was close to being a millionaire. He was, the church I went to was Russell Anderson was a member of the church there and Russell Anderson was working with him trying to help him uh, to make, keep his finances where they were so he'd be a very young millionaire. But he got involved in gambling and he couldn't break it. His wife ended up leaving him. Put a restraining order on him. He didn't see his children for almost two years. He, call, he would call me crying and sobbing. And uh, he lost everything he had. He lost his house. He lost his family brother preacher when I he said can you please come meet with me I went to meet with him you know where he was living in his car 
Why? Because of exceptions that he started making in his life. Well, I can control the exceptions. Sure you can. Now, I will say this. By the grace of God, he finally got his life back on track, and he's doing okay for the Lord right now. But that's one in a hundred that happened that way. Typically doesn't happen. But he's saying, an exception in associations, an exception in appetites, and the last one is this. He just he made an exception in his attitude toward obeying God. An exception in his attitude. His attitude about obeying God was, well, I love the Lord. You know, so if I don't do this or I don't do that, look back there at 1 Kings chapter 11 again where we were at. And just think about this. We read down through verse number 8, but notice what it says in verse 9. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. His attitude toward obeying God stunk. It wasn't that way at the beginning, but when he let the wrong associations in and, and he began to feed the wrong appetites, then it just became a matter of his attitude toward obeying God was it really doesn't matter. And in the end, he worshiped all these other false gods. How in the world does a person go from God given the testimony that they loved him to a mess like Solomon was in? It was all about the exceptions that he made. James 2.10 says, For whosoever shall uh, keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. You remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 15? If ye love me. What did he say? Keep my commandments. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And if we really love God, the way we prove it is being obedient to this book. Staying as close to the Lord as we can stay. Man, I'm telling you, this, this little thought, you may think that it doesn't have a whole lot to do with uh, the family, but it has everything to do with the family. Because if one person begins to make exceptions to things in their life, it begins to affect the entire family household. Moms and dads, oh, I've seen so many moms and dads begin to make poor decisions exceptions in a wrong pathway. Before you know it, you take your kids out of church, you leave church, the kids' lives are destroyed. I can tell you a story about a, a, a guy in a, a church we were in when I was in the ministry year, a number of years ago. The guy, the guy and his wife were both Sunday school teachers. He was a Sunday school superintendent over one of the groups, over the, one of the young boys' groups. They're faithful to church and everything. He got upset about something. He made a poor decision. He got mad about something the preacher preached. It was truth, but he got upset about it. Backed away from, backed away from church. Man, we went to visit him, tried to get him to come back. He, he, just, he was just so adamant that he wasn't going to. I said, man, if you, if, if you got such a problem with the church, then, then go, you know, go to another church, but get in church somewhere where, where you can have your family and, oh, there's no other place to go to. Well, if you feel that way, then you need to swallow your pride. You need to get back in church. You need to, but he wouldn't do it. The last time I went to visit him, the last time I saw him, he invited me, and I had a deacon from the church with me, and we went in to visit him. 
And he invited me to sit down at the kitchen table, and he had a fifth of Jack Daniels sitting on the kitchen table. You say, where's he at today, Brother Martin? Well, he's divorced. His wife's been married again and divorced. His children, his daughter has been married twice and divorced. They don't go to church. I don't think his children are saved. What are you saying? Exceptions. Exceptions. Oh, I'm not going to listen to the truth, and I'm not going to obey the truth. Oh, I can get by with just not this one thing. Exceptions. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 2 says this. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. I love this verse. And His commandments are not grievous. God's word is not grievous. Man, God loves you and me. He's given this book to us to help us to live a kind of life that will be blessed and happy. And, but when we start choosing to make exceptions to what his book says, it's going to lead us down a pathway of destruction. I preached my sister's funeral in early February. Sad reality is my sister had been dead for a week by the time they found her. We couldn't have a normal funeral. As a matter of fact, uh, when they got the autopsy done, they said they, she had to be buried within 24 hours. I transported her body to North Carolina in my vehicle to have her buried where her burial plot was. I preached a funeral service there with all of our relatives in North Carolina that would come to it. And then I came back to Michigan, and I had planned it this way. I, I asked the preacher up there in Michigan if I could have a memorial service and invite all of her friends to come to the memorial service. And uh, he said, absolutely. And a bunch of the church came to it. Man, they supported it and tried to, and a bunch of those Friends came, and I had the privilege to see her two best friends saved, and another person saved that was a friend. Sad reality is my sister could have been the one that led him to the Lord if she would have not got involved in all the mess that they were involved in. And uh, What are you saying, Brother Martin? Exceptions. I'll do this, 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 this. But this, be careful about exceptions. It'll destroy your home. It'll destroy your family. It will destroy your love for God. How many of you love the Lord tonight? Can I ask you this question? Does God know that you love him? Does he know you really love him? And would you say, boy, there's some things in my life. Boy, it sure doesn't show God I love him. Then maybe you need to come to an altar tonight. Maybe you need to get some things right before the Lord. Maybe some families need to come. Maybe some parents need to come and say, we're not doing this anymore. We're not making exceptions in this. And we're not making exceptions. By the way, we're not making exceptions in standards anymore. Amen. Would to God we'd have a church that get back to holiness again. And lifting God up where he deserves to be lifted up in our lives.
Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. 